Hi, Fools. Healthcare analyst Michael Douglas here today with one of our healthcare contributors, Todd Campbell, a, a frequent, frequent guest and contributor here on Industry Focus. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing great. We actually have some sunshine up here in New Hampshire rather than some snow, so I've got a big smile on my face. <laughs> That's uh, got to be a little bit of a relief. I know we've had a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, weather issues uh, up in the Northeast. Um, and also, just to, to let folks who may be watching us, uh, following us by video today, uh, I, we're in a different studio. We're, we're, we're trying out a few different uh, layouts for industry focus, and so I'm, I'm here perched in front of this big mic, feeling kind of like an old-style radio DJ and pretty excited about about it. It's one of my childhood dreams. So uh, nice to get to fulfill that. <laughs> That's great. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Todd. You're very kind. All right. So, so let's jump right into today's topic. And, and we want to talk about two biotechs that are dreaming big in hepatitis C. Of course, hepatitis C is a, a, a massive market with enormous need. Um, there have been um, well, well, let's let's go into the history of uh, hepatitis C market over the last uh, few years or, or a decade. Todd, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah, I think that it's very helpful from an investor's perspective to mm -hmm. understand where we've been and the advances that have been made so far uh, before we start looking at what drugs might be coming in the future. So, you know, a decade ago, most patients were treated with a mashup of peginferon and ribavirin. And those were lots of side effects. Yeah, those were not pretty drugs. Um, you know, you had a coin flip cure rate and, you know, the, the, the treatment duration was 48 weeks. Mm -hmm. And when you're feeling horrible on the medication and it lasts that long, you're bound to get a lot of people drop out. And, you know, on average, it was almost a third. It was like 28 percent, 27, 8, 28 percent of people would discontinue that therapy. Sure. Um, so it was really an inefficient solution for patients. Uh, the first major advance from that doublet was uh, in 2011, where Vertex Pharmaceuticals got Incivic mm -hmm. approved. And you probably remember, Michael, you had Incivic kind of fought with, you know, Merck had, had a competing drug, too, and Civic ended up uh, becoming the dominant player, the fastest drug to reach a billion dollars in sales at the time. Um, and the reason that it was such a successful drug is that it cut the treatment time in half. Treatment time dropped to 24 weeks. And not only did it do that, but it bumped up the uh, cure rates from 50% to 80%. Mm -hmm. So you had a better drug. You could take it for, for less time. However, there was a big problem. You still had to take ribavirin and peginferin with it. So you still so had all those nasty really, side effects. Yeah, you didn't you didn't solve that um, that problem, and you still had those you know a problem with adherence. Sure. So then you fast forward again to the December 2013 approval of Savaldi, and that was probably the biggest game changer uh, of all. Because now you took the treatment duration to 12 weeks. In many cases, you eliminated peg interferon. You still had to take ribavirin. Mm -hmm. And you ended up with cure rates that were better than 90%. So that was a major, major advance in the treatment of hep C. Right. And now you're getting to a point where the, the, the developments are coming so much more rapidly. Mm -hmm. You know, in October... Gilead won approval for Haroni. It's its second generation Hep C drug and genotype one. Yeah, that which, com, that's a mashup. Which which eliminates you the know, use of interferon there in one, which is big. 
Yeah, huge. Now you get rid of ribavirin, you get rid of peg interferon. You can take in Harvoni for as little as eight weeks. Well, 45% of genotype 1 can take it in for as little as eight weeks. Right. And you can get mid to high 90% cure rates. So it's been a pretty remarkable decade for advances in this, in this category. But I would argue there's still a lot to be done, and that's why you know, we're having this conversation with investors today to talk about what might be coming. Right, exactly. Well, and, 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 and even though we're focusing on these kind of two smaller biotechs, it's important to note, to, to note um, that, you know, when you look at your big players, you know, your Gilead, for example, um, they are, one of the big things they're looking at is reducing that treatment duration further, you know, trying to get um, a cure for hepatitis C in less than 12 weeks and six weeks or eight weeks or four weeks even is what people are starting to talk about. Now, just just numbers that were absolutely inconceivable even as little as two years ago. It is mind-numbing, really, when you think about it. I mean, you, you... the, I think that, you know, CVS has recently did a study that looked at Savaldi adherence, and I think it was like 7 or 8% of people discontinued versus 27% less than 10 years ago. You've got a, you've, yes, advances that have just been quite remarkable, and at the forefront of that is Gilead Sciences. I mean, you've got a company that last year alone in hepatitis C generated $10 billion in sales on Savaldi and another $2 billion from Harvoni. This is they are a Goliath in the space, mm-hmm. and they are spending a lot of money um, on researching that next generation, which is going to be a drug that's going to cut across all genotypes and it's going to shorten duration times to you know potentially six weeks, maybe less. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and and this is one of those things where with healthcare, it's always important to to dream big and then to wait wait and watch for that data because that can fundamentally shift that investing thesis. So then. Let's talk about these two small biotechs that reported uh, hepatitis C-related news over the last couple of weeks. Uh, let's start with Regulus. Yeah, Regulus is an interesting stock because it's been around for a little while. It's mm-hmm. got a pretty decent heritage, but they really haven't been able to have a, a clinical success yet as far as commercialized drug. The company was founded by Isis and Aldilam, uh, two you know, big players in RNA. Um, basically research microRNA um, uh, therapeutics or drugs that basically uh, work on microRNA, which controls how genes work, if you will. Right. And what Regulus is studying is, hey, can we control uh, genes that are associated with the replication of hepatitis C? Mm-hmm. And if we can control those microRNAs, can we basically cure hepatitis C much quicker and potentially offer a cure in some cases, believe it or not, uh, with one or two doses. Yeah, and, and of course that, that quick dose opportunity is just, oh my gosh, you know, that, that, that is certainly something the market was excited about. But the data didn't look so good this last time. It was a little, it was mixed. I mean, let's face it, these are, for Regulus, it's a very early stage trial. They're right. still basically feeling it out to see what makes the most sense to pursue. They've got a lot of different programs out there, including studying the drug as administered by a, a two milligram injection, a four milligram injection, potentially an eight milligram injection. Um, they're thinking, well, what if we give it once and then we follow up with a booster shot in 30 days? Um, they're also looking at combining it with Johnson & Johnson's Elysio mm-hmm. um, as a potential for the next stage. But again, this is, this is very early stage. Right. You know, if you look at the most recent data, uh, it was the 4-milligram 
uh, trial, um, you know, nine out of 14 patients that were administered the drug were uh, hepatitis C free uh, 57 days later. Um, that's pretty, you know, I mean, that's better than half yeah. on a single dose being disease free. Uh, whether or not that holds up, though, um, without a booster shot, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how promising that is. Yeah. So there's still there are a ton of question marks with this. It's intriguing. Hey, they're dreaming big. Yeah. No question. But um, it's a speculative. It's a speculative stock. Right. In in in. Let's face it. A pretty speculative space. You know, people go into healthcare, uh, not usually because they're too risk averse. Right. Healthcare is usually, at least for me, it's definitely the kind of healthcare and tech are kind of the aggressive end of my portfolio, um, and uh, and so I, you know, this is like on the speculative end of speculative in general. Right. Right. I mean, if you look at biotech as being wow, this is these these stocks can pop and drop so dramatically based on any news and this is a company that could you know could really pop and really drop i mean this is this is not one to uh to go into with rose colored lenses right exactly well and, and i'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about the investing thesis uh, with both these stocks uh in a bit but let's let's go into achilleon as well so achilleon a little bit more advanced of a hep c player still a pretty small stock i, I want to say their market cap is uh a billion and some, uh, pretty pretty small stock, and they uh, also reported news uh, pretty recently. Yeah, Achillean may. I think of the two, Achillean's a little bit more intriguing to me because they seem to be a little bit further along, and it doesn't yeah. seem like they're they're re they're not recreating a new wheel. They're basically reinventing an existing wheel to make it better. Right. Um, you know, essentially what they have is they have a drug ACH thirty one oh two. Um, ACH-3102 is a, um, uh, the same type of drug, if you will, as one of the two drugs that are in Gilead Sciences Hervoni. Mm -hmm. um, so what they did is they said, if we can improve upon that drug yeah. and then still combine it with Savaldi, can we get cure rates in a much shorter duration? So they first tested it out at eight weeks, and they said, okay, let's look at a dozen people and see whether or not we can you know, cure them in eight weeks. And sure enough, combining ACH3102 with Savaldi cured all 12 of these patients uh, so far um, um, over eight weeks. So then they said, okay, well, it worked so well in eight weeks, let's take a look at six weeks. So they went out and they said, they did the same study, let's combine it with Savaldi, see what happens. And sure enough, uh, 12 weeks later, after stopping treatment, they're all cured still. Um, so, wow, six weeks worked with this drug. Now let's go out and we'll study four weeks. Um, obviously, that trial is just getting underway, so we won't have results from it for a while. But that would be pretty remarkable. I mean, you, you, to be able to think, hey, I, I can now go from an, from 45% of people in genotype one being able to take uh, Haroni for eight weeks, to everyone potentially being able to take this mashup for only four weeks. Yeah. No. It, it, and and the the opportunity there is in is incredible. And just to be clear, you know, so this is basically taking ACH3102, which is their NS5A inhibitor, and combining it with Gilead's Nuke Savaldi, as opposed to Gilead's current Harvoni, which is their NS5A inhibitor, Lodiposphere, plus their Nuke Savaldi. So it's basically switching that one thing out and seeing if you can get a lift, um, seeing w without actually comparing it directly to Harvoni, right? So, and, and of course, that's one of the things we have to keep in mind uh, with these trials is that since there was no direct head-to-head -head 
it's a little hard to make uh, make pronouncements as to whether one's better or not. That said, certainly the data were very encouraging, and I think that's something investors are going to want to watch very closely. Yeah, I mean, the, the stock has been up and down a lot recently, and, yeah. and one of the reasons for that is that they're also working on a drug called ACH3422 that would replace Vivaldi in that combination therapy. Um, so basically be able to toss out Savaldi and then have a whole in-house solution. Um, results were kind of mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't awesome. They weren't, you know, fantastic. The, um, so it's, 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 I'm not sure whether or not 3422 is better than Savaldi. Uh, they'll have to prove that out. So again, this one falls back into that speculative zone yeah. where we don't know what happens when you take it. I mean, we're talking 12 people. Right. I mean, it's not what you call a patient population that can make you say, all right, this is definitely going to work for everybody. Um, a lot more study needs, needs to happen for this company as well and for these drugs. Yeah, really, really tiny patient population. And that, of course, is an immediate like, oh, gosh, well, you know, for if we're going to have a really big disease, I will want to see that bigger phase three trial um, before we we get really particularly excited about Achilleon's potential. And you can kind of see it when you look at, um, I think, another – so two things in healthcare, right? You want to see clinical success, and then you want to see commercial success. And um, given that Achilleon is going to be – if it does this – if it goes alone and if all the clinical trial data works out and everything, it's still going to be pretty late to the party, Um, you know – well, I saw one analyst estimating that the combo could be out, you know, in like 2020 or something like that. I mean, we're, we're not saying uh, that there's an immediate opportunity here. And you're going to, instead of have big, big players like Gilead and like AbbVie vacuuming up a lot of um, and really curing a lot of people um, and, and figuring out how to best market and sort of control this market in a lot of ways before a smaller player like an Achilleon could even get to market. Yeah, I, that's a great point. Hepatitis C is basically, you know, the next decade you're going to cure, a, we'll call it the majority. Hopefully. Hopefully. That, that is the plan oh. anyway. That seems to be the, the likely case. Yeah. I mean, last year, Gilead treated 170,000 patients, and that was with a lot of restrictions on access to the drug. Right. Um, this year, because of AbbVie coming on the scene and some negotiations that were made with different payers, theoretically, a lot more people could have access to that drug. Um, so maybe you treat 200,000. I don't know. Yeah. You know, if you get 2.7 million to 3 million, depending on who you listen to, people in the U.S., you know, in te- and then, of course, the advances that these companies are, are developing already in-house, like Gilead. Um, it's, it remains to be seen how big an opportunity this is and how long-lasting that opportunity is for these companies if they succeed in these late-stage trials and if they can convince FDA regulators to approve them. And then if they can, you know, sort of overcome what are going to be very experienced marketing teams who are used to uh, talking about data, you know, the, the build out for this could be enormous. And it may be that for someone like an Achilleon or Regulus, if they achieve clinical success, um, partnering with somebody, uh, you know, I, I'm going to, there has been buyout speculation, so I'm just going to throw it out, perhaps a buyout, you know, we'll see. I, I don't encourage investors to invest based on thoughts of buyouts because so often they don't happen, as Shire PLC investors discovered last year. Um, so, but Yeah, I mean, you're right, Michael. There's been a lot of activity in the space. You had yeah. Merck making a, a $3 billion acquisition last year to lock up some, some clinical stage hep C drugs. Right. Um, but you're right. I mean, investors shouldn't buy a company banking on its going its ability to get acquired. It's better to buy it based upon, you know, the data that you see in front of you. 
And with companies like this, you're, they're, they're speculative. They shouldn't be anything, in anything other than the speculative portion of, of investor portfolios. Right. And honestly, I'll tell you, too speculative for my blood. I am, I am a, a proudly a Gilead Sciences shareholder and, and, and really continue to like their opportunities. Um, Todd, thank you very much for your take. Um, folks, one thing I want to share with you is that you know here at The Motley Fool, we're always trying to identify what the next big winner could be, what the next big player could be, what, what, what com- company could next really fundamentally change the world. Um, and one of the big ways we do that is with David Gardner's uh, Rule Breakers service, uh, which is a, a high-growth-oriented high uh, uh, stock service. So, you know, if you're interested in learning more about it, sh- shoot us an email at growth at fool.com, and uh, we'll be happy to uh, send you along a special offer to the Rule Breakers service. Um, Todd, again, thanks for your time. Folks, check back to the Industry Focus podcast, and of course, fool.com for all of your investing needs, and fool on.